as apostles, but here we see the only time that a calling of a disciple is actually listed in Luke and Mark. And so Mark chapter 3, it starts off here. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And this is a pretty common ministry expression of Jesus. That he's constantly being followed by a crowd of people. Now, this crowd is interesting because some of these people came to hear him. Uh, some wanted to talk with him, to discuss with him, as we'll see throughout the text, um, throughout the Gospels. Some came to question him. Others came to see him heal. They heard about the healing ministry of Jesus, and still others wanted to be healed. But no matter what the people wanted, Jesus always took the time to help each one of them. See, Jesus didn't just want followers or spectators. He wanted emissaries, ambassadors. <laughs> he wanted ministers to be sent out all over the world to tell about his good news, to, to tell about this new creation, this new life. Well, just look at what he's, he begins to do as he gets into verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Aliphaz, sitting at the tax booth. He said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Uh, see, for us, this calling that Jesus has to Levi seems to be being called into a spectator role. Much like the crowd that has been following Jesus. However, that's not what's happening. See, Jesus is actually calling him out of his current life, the current way he's living, and calling him to live into a whole new kind of life. It's a life that's going to be focused on Jesus, literally following Jesus around. And it's going to be focused on not just what Jesus is doing, but what he says. As Jesus models this new way of living for him. So Levi is going to be soaking this in. But then Jesus, ultimately, even just in the next chapter, he's going to send them out to do the same thing, to go on mission. See, following Jesus is not just about trusting in him or watching him or listening to him, but doing as he does. See, Levi responds right here to something that we read right past. It's the invitation to follow Jesus, but it's not just one of watching him but it's going to be living and doing what he does. This is what Jesus come to do. Not just to show people a better way, but to bring them along to a better way. He longs to give them a new life to all who are willing to believe in him, to put their faith, to believe in the gospel. But it's important that we stop and say, the gospel, what is the gospel? Because it's, it's the foundation for all that we do as disciples. It's what Jesus was modeling, teaching, it's the good news. And here's the thing. It's, it simply means the good news. And, and the good news is that we will never measure up to God's standards. And that sounds like bad news, but it's actually great news because God is going to step in for us and complete what we can never complete. See, we were meant to have relationship with God. We were created for relationship, but sin and death and brokenness have separated us when Adam went his own way. And we haven't done any better. We haven't come into the world and, and done any better than Adam. But sin came when Adam disobeyed and went and led to his own way. It led us in a path far away from God, separated. 
There was no hope or ability. That's why the good news that we can't do anything is because God can do something. See, we needed a substitute, someone to step into our place and take our sin, shame, and death. So God sent Jesus. This is the gospel. And God sent Jesus to live the life we could never live, to die the death we deserved. We have to allow that to be soaked into ourselves. That's a really important aspect, and we're going to get why that's important in the later as Jesus talks about this passage. And then ultimately, it's trusting that God raised Jesus from the dead, and this proves Jesus can take our sin. He can make us right before God. It's through trusting him alone. It's in trusting Jesus alone that he can do this, that he can be our substitute, that we receive forgiveness and restore relationship to God. We receive a new life. This is what Jesus came for. This was his mission to bring back the lost. He longed to see each and every one of his creation experience this new life in himself. This is the gospel, and this is awesome. It's good news. It's good, not just good news like, you know, everyone's going to get a, a free, you know, a free burrito after church. Like, that's great, but this is like life-changing good news. Maybe for you the burrito is life-changing, but I don't think so. But if you've never trusted in Jesus before, this is where it starts. It's examining who Jesus is, what he has done for you, who you are before God, and then in, with faith, in faith, trusting him alone to take what you could never do. I think for some people, when they hear the good news of Jesus, and you'll, you'll experience this with people, you'll tell them about Jesus, and you know, they'll come back to you and say, well, you know what, you don't realize how bad I am. There's no way that God could make amends, no way that God could make a way for me. It's kind of an arrogant statement to really put more emphasis on you than really even you're capable of. But even for those who do believe the gospel, we have to come to a conclusion someday, right, that we have to come to amends that God has taken this away by his grace, taken our sin away, that we don't deserve what he's given us, but he's given to us freely. And this is truly amazing. This is possible because Jesus took your sin. <clears throat> he stepped into your place. And this is because you have seen yourself as someone not worthy, but as someone that's broken, someone that's lost, someone that's in need. Because this idea that I'm good on my own, that's not what God's come for. That's not who he's come to redeem. That attitude would lead you far from God, far from the gospel. And this is exactly what Mark 2 is illustrating for us today. Illustrating for us today. Who is the gospel for? Let's keep looking at it. Verse 15. <clears throat> and as he reclined at table in his house, this is in Levi's house, so he has a, a tax collector. So you imagine who's hanging out with Levi? Well, <clears throat> many tax collectors and sinners. These are the outcasts, right? They were reclined with Jesus and his disciples for. There were many who followed him. Many sinners and tax collectors followed Jesus. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, 
said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So you have these two groups of people. <clears throat> you have these sinners, these tax collectors and sinners, and then you have these Pharisees, these elites. Now the first group of tax collectors and sinners were the outsiders. They were the, the people that, that weren't good enough for society. They, in fact, they weren't good enough for the religious elite of that day. They didn't belong. And they for sure didn't belong sitting with a rabbi at a table over a meal. Big no-no. Then you have the second group of people. They are the epitome of an insider. They are exactly what you would imagine someone who gets everything, has all the privilege, and all that stuff, right? They are highly influential in society. They are seen as the movers and shakers. They get it. They're perfect people. And to be frank, they actually think pretty highly of themselves as well. They, they think they're pretty awesome. Because you know what they do all day, every day, is they try to live up to a standard that ultimately God's word doesn't even call them to. They live above it, and then they look at other people and they compare themselves with how much better they live compared to the people around them. So they elevate themselves. They love the applause of others, and they deeply are concerned about the way they're perceived. They've got lots of Instagram followers, and they're constantly on it. See, it's these guys that begin to ask Jesus a question. They're asking this question to Jesus. They say, who matters to God? Who matters to God? And their answer is, we matter to God. <laughs> Not because we're creating his image, but because we're awesome. Because we try. Because we do things. Because we're righteous. Now, don't get me wrong. They ask who matters to God, but they don't ask it very nicely. They sound a little judgmental. He, they ask, why is Jesus eating with these people? Why is he eating with those people? See, but Jesus always hears the question behind the question. So look at verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, I think it's important we stop. Jesus is eavesdropping. So you know when your mom said, you know, eavesdropping is rude. I mean, I mean, Jesus is doing it, so, you know, I guess that's okay, right? No, I'm, I'm kidding. That's not meant to be a modeling for us, but Jesus overhears it because these people are stirring up his disciples, asking them this question, but they should have been asking Jesus all along. And Jesus hears them ask the question, and he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. That's true. That makes sense. But what is his point? I, I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is so fundamental to the gospel. So fundamental. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is not saying that the scribes and the Pharisees were in fact great or righteous before God. In the sense of like that they've somehow obtained salvation apart from what he's about to do in that in his life but this idea of righteousness can literally mean one that lives rightly that they actually live correctly or by the law and i believe that these particular people may have been the most right living externally obedient to god people who have ever walked the earth these people knew the law of god they followed it I love Jesus' commentary about them in Matthew 23, 27. Don't turn there. It's his 
famous rant of Jesus about the seven woes to the Pharisees. So not the best, you know, not the best speech if you're a Pharisee. But listen to this woe. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That doesn't sound good. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Essentially, Jesus is saying here in harsher terms what he's already said in Mark. The Pharisees look right from the outside, but there's something wrong, dead on the inside. It does not matter how well someone presents themselves externally. God is concerned about the heart. God is concerned about what lives inside in our minds. Jesus did not come for people who think they can somehow do it on their own effort. This goes against the gospel, which at the core of the gospel means you could not do what God did for you. By sending Jesus, that Jesus somehow steps into a gap that you were never able to step into. And trusting his ability. It's not like you're an Olympian that, like, you know, Jesus stepped in and got the gold medal for you, but you're like, well, I still could have competed and got it, you know? No, no, you weren't even in the Olympics, okay? Like, Jesus gets the gold. Like, it's like me watching uh, someone get a gold medal from home, right? Like, I'm a couch potato. I'm not ever going to be an Olympian. Like, unless they've been, like, my girls told me I'm really good at watching TV, which I don't know what that says about me, but, you know, at least I'm good at something, right? But if watching TV was a gold medal uh, competition, I still probably wouldn't get the gold medal. But at the same time, it, it's, it's like that idea that I'm not even in the same category. I'm not even capable of winning what Jesus wants for me. But Jesus does it. I could not do what Jesus has done for me. I have to rely on this by faith. See, it's at the heart of this is that these people that know they can't do it, that they know that it's going to take something far beyond themselves, that they're going to have to trust him by faith. It's where faith comes in. Jesus came for sinners, for those who have lost, those who have come to an end of believing that they can somehow present themselves to God. Jesus came for the downtrodden, the hurting. He came for those that they may have life, may have it abundant. This is the beauty of the gospel. It's a great reversal. You had no hope. But in Jesus, you have hope abundantly. You have life abundantly. You have eternal life with God. And this is what the new life is. And he's left us here to do his mission, to experience this new life in Jesus as we help others do the same. What's Jesus doing right here in these verses in Mark chapter 2? Let's see what he's modeling for us because it's important. And he's inviting them. Look at verse 15. He reaches out, and in verse 15 it says this, And as he reclined at table in his house, that's, again, in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. See, this picture of Jesus at the table with outsiders is a Huge boost to our vision of making more room at the table. This is exactly what Jesus does in his ministry. 
He continues to find outsiders. He continues to find people who don't believe that they're, they're capable of coming to God, people who are primed and ready for the gospel, and he makes space for them. In fact, he actually even goes to them, which is a beautiful, beautiful example. Can we long for the Grove to be like that? To be a place where people can find connectedness and belonging as we go on mission with one another. So we should never be apprehensive about inviting someone to something we're doing. I hope you guys feel that, like, that, that anything we do, you know, Sundays may be the least effective, maybe, thing to have someone come in and find relationship. Because discipleship and its core is what Jesus did with his disciples. Relationship. Why did he only have 12? Because those are who he could have relationship with. He calls people from the crowd into relationship. And so we do that as a body, making more room for people through relationships. In order to make disciples, we need to reach out to those around us. We don't need to invite them into events or, you know, systems or somehow like organizations. We need to invite them into relationship with us, to, to sh share a meal, to, to share our lives, to, to speak to them, to ask them questions, to get to know them. I've seen this time and time in my own life. So just recently, I was able to sit with a guy and I, I, I shared uh, the gospel with him. And I could sense that God was leading somewhere to him to something. And so I, I walked him through the gospel and he ended up professing faith in Christ. But here's the thing. That is the worst case scenario in my mind. <laughs> because now I have this guy who's completely unattached to anyone other than me. And he doesn't know what it means and looks like to be a disciple in his context. Because his context, there's no other disciples. That's why God developed and brought about the church. We need a community around us to invite him back into, right? Ideally, he would have found community before he found Christ because then he would know belonging. And it's so important because too often in our world today, people put professions before, before really belonging. And then they have no place to go. I think that's my heart, that we be a church that people would come into, that they would understand what it looks like to live like Christ before they make a profession for Christ. Because there's a cost in following Jesus. There's ultimately that we have somehow now have to uh, diminish and Jesus has to increase in our lives. There's going to be things that we're doing in our lives that God's calling us not to do anymore. And that's really tough. And if you're just thinking, oh, it's a ticket somewhere, or it's, it's this great news that I never has to change anything in my life, that's not what Jesus envisioned for his followers. Jesus envisions radical change, a whole new life, having brought you from death to life. See, I believe that's what Jesus is calling Levi to follow him, which seems really odd because when you read the text, you're like, Jesus says, hey, follow me. And they're like, okay. You know, and they have a meal. And you're like, wow, that, that looks really simple. But there's something deeper happening. He's asking Levi to follow him, not just to walk behind him, but to watch him as he models the mission right in front of Levi. See, Jesus envisioned that his followers would experience this new life through faith, but then would go and multiply disciples in their spheres. See, Jesus envisioned his disciples to go full circle in their faith. To be a disciple means to step into faith to follow Jesus. To say, I want to follow him by faith, trusting in the gospel. But what did Jesus want from his disciples? Well, it's this idea of full circle faith. 
When you go full circle in your faith, you show yourself to be fully formed as a disciple. That's really important because we can be kind of misshaped as disciples. But I think there's a simple formula for us. And it's not the only way you can do this, but I think it's a helpful formula that we can become more and more like Christ. Because that's the goal of discipleship, is to be more and more like Jesus. For us at the Grove, we see this happening as three E's. So go ahead and put that up there. The three E's of a disciple. See, a disciple is someone who continues to mature as they go full circle in their faith. And I, I don't think this is uh, static. Meaning this, it's not just something you do once, like, oh, I, I learned about God, I, I trusted him more, and then, you know, I, I helped someone else do it, and I'm a, I'm, now I'm a disciple. We're never going to be fully formed as disciples until we see Jesus face to face. We're, we're never going to be fully there until we're with Jesus in heaven. But it doesn't stop us from continuing to do what Jesus called us to do, is to make disciples. But how does this happen? So I, I share this as a way to saying, this is how we see as the Grove, we're going to move forward in making disciples as a group. But also encouraging us as individuals, how can we do this? Well, I think it always starts with engage. Here, this is the idea of engage, you know, engaging the gospel with your mind. So this is, I believe this happens on a daily basis. If for sure, this, this circle probably happened at one point in your life. As you came to understand who Jesus was, you lived to honor him, and ultimately, you try to help others do the same. But in this moment, uh, what do you do once you've had that new life? You start over. You start over. And this can be really difficult for Christians who have been Christians their whole lives because you're like, well, you know, I've already done this. I'm, I'm already a Christian, so what do I have left? Well, a disciple is someone who goes full circle more and over and over. You start with engage. Let me encourage you with this. This idea of going full circle, starting with engage, means that you're going to get to know Jesus better more, and know more about Christ in a better way. It's the primary way of being a disciple. Uh, see, it's, it's really actually funny because like our churches are really geared for this. You, if you've grown up in the church or if you've been around, you see we teach a lot, right? We teach a lot because being a disciple is about learning. Being a disciple is, is hearing the lessons and teachings of Jesus. If you see back what Jesus was doing, he kept teaching wherever he went. Because being a disciple was hearing and knowing Christ better. It's engaging with the gospel in our minds to come to know him in a better way. But learning is not everything a disciple is. In fact, most of us, and that's how I grew up, I grew up in a situation where that's all I knew. I thought learning was being a disciple. That's it. There's nothing else beyond that. So I just learned as much as I could. My head outgrew my body, and that was in more ways than one. As a kid, my head was huge. My body was small. But it's spiritually, that's how I felt. And I, and I felt that way all the way through all my higher education. And just recently, I feel like God is beginning to allow my body spiritually to grow into my head. Because it's not as much about what you know about who you're worshiping and who you're following. It's all about Jesus. But learning is important. We can't diminish that. It's part of being a disciple. You have to engage your mind in the gospel and getting to know Jesus better. This is jumping in, reading your Bible, understanding the Bible. You may actually have to say, hey, I need someone to teach me more about the Bible or I need to know more about how to do this. That's a very important part of being a disciple. See, disciples establish I'm sorry, learning is not everything. 
The second part is establish, establish. This is a really important part because this is where we really root in our, our hearts to Jesus. We root in our hearts. We start beginning to desire and follow him in a deeper way. I love Colossians 2, 6, and 7 for this. It says, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This is the idea of walking, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Part of maturity in Christ is not just knowing more about God, but, but having a, a understanding and, and treasuring him and desiring him and being stable and rooted in Jesus, established. This is the idea, and I think of the, the metaphor of the grove, you know, like if you don't have good root systems, you're not going to thrive. And so many people, they learn about Jesus, but they don't learn how to thrive as they root in deeper. And this rooting, this established, it means more than just desiring Jesus more, but it means being rooted and connected with one another. Scripture continues to call us back to that, that we live in community, that we live in love with one another. It's through this that we live lives that honor God. That's really important. It's not just that you know God. It's that you honor him. You go his way. And see, this is the toughest part about being a disciple, is that you don't just watch what Jesus does. You begin to desire it and do it as well. Our hearts begin to treasure Christ more and more. And the last step is empower. See, a disciple is empowered. They're empowered to live out their faith to those around them. They're empowered to go as, as ambassadors for Christ. That they're not just set back to, to be learners, but they're, and they're set out to be doers. See, the mission is all about doing. It's not just about understanding or even treasuring. Because we have our head, we have our hearts, we have to move out and do with our hands. Here we are empowered to serve and to be like Jesus to those around us. This is why in Matthew chapter 25, at the very end of time, there's all these people that come to Jesus, and Jesus basically tells them, right? He says, I never knew you. And what do these people say? Well, Jesus, didn't I do all these things in your name? But he says, no, when I was sick and hurt and helpless, you didn't step in. And they ask back, wait, when did we ever see you hurt, sick, or helpless? Jesus says, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you, did it to, you didn't do it to me. See, you are being empowered to be sent out to be Jesus to the world. Now, okay, let me take a step back. If you're not Jesus, I hope no one's getting confused. Don't go out and start saying that you're Jesus of Nazareth. I don't want you to be crazy. But to live now means to live for Christ. I love Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. For to live is Christ. To die. I quoted the wrong passage. But it, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. I love that passage. It's so essential to who we are as disciples. That, that we are empowered to live and be like Jesus to those around us. This is using our hands as we love and serve the people around us. But this ultimate empower is that we would be like Jesus as we make more disciples. That you're empowered not just to be like Jesus, those around you, but help someone else engage. 
help someone else begin the journey towards faith in Christ, I think they engage is always what someone says. Asking the question, and oftentimes I do, I say, who do you think Jesus is? Because all things separated, who do they think Jesus is the most important part? And one of the coolest things I've done many times, I just invite people to, hey, come, come hang out with us. Come, come, come examine what it looks like to be like, to be, to be a follower of Jesus. And I, I've, had, I've had someone take me up on it. Not many, but I have, I have had someone. And it's a really neat opportunity because I, it's like I'm asking them to call my bluff. Because I really do believe in the community of the believers. I believe in the church. I believe that we are the best place to see the gospel lived out. Do we see people engaged? We see people established. We see people empowered. And this is what we want to see. We want to see each of the disciples go full circle in their faith. The best news, the best news is that you're not being called to do this alone. Like I said, it's like the worst case scenario to be on the front lines and to be by yourself. It's just tough. You feel alone. Now, you're empowered by the Spirit. We see it throughout Scripture. People do share their faith alone. But we need to connect people back to the church. This is why God has equipped the church with many members that are gifted in many ways. You personally may not be the one who can lead someone to Christ, but you are being asked to build relationships with lost and hurting people. This is part of model, living a life that Jesus modeled, that, that we don't stay back into these holy huddles, that, that church is not a country club. Church is not a place we escape the world, but it's a place that hopefully, as you hear me today, I'm encouraging to go back out and to re-engage, and to, to find relationships, and to connect them back to, to the, their maker, their creator. It's a community for Jesus, a community of Jesus followers that model faith. As people come in and engage, they can see it. As they see our love for one another, we can do this together. I think that's why a commitment to the gathering is so important. Whether that gathering's on a Sunday or it's around a meal or, or maybe it's around actual relationships that we actually see that being committed will provide the opportunity for us to thrive and flourish as a body. See, we believe God is going to do great things through our efforts. But it's not us individually. We don't have all stars. I'm not meant to be somehow the all-star up here. Hopefully, you see me more as a coach than the guy who gets up and does everything. Though, maybe that's not being modeled very well on Sunday. The goal of our discipleship is that we do it together. It's a team effort. And what's a beautiful thing is, as a team project goes, is even the weakest link gets the same grade. <laughs> even the weakest link gets the same, same grade. But we're being called to pursue Jesus in this, this discipleship relationship. And we can adopt his heart for those around us as we reach out to them in relationship. For the Grove, we long to see Jesus lifted high. We long to see you guys going full circle in your lives of faith. We love to be part of that journey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. God, I just pray that you would, you would develop in us a heart to follow hard after you. God, that you would show us areas that maybe we're not fully engaged in our minds. 
maybe there's areas that we're struggling with, that God, you would give us the courage to continue to just, just, just seek out answers and ideas. God, I just pray that you would help us grow in our, our, our establishing a life that honors you that our hearts would be chasing after you, that you would help the passions and desires that well up in us, that, that help have us go after sin, that you would, you would take those away. You'd make our hearts desire you alone. And God, I pray that you would empower us, that we would just feel empowered as we leave this place to, to find a relationship even this week. That we'd go in confidence that you go before us, that we're not just trying to bring someone to an event or or, or or a show, but God, that we're trying to reconnect them to their maker. That you have called us into this mission. You're providing us the energy and the ability to do it. So God, I pray that you would develop us to be a gathering that that values this, that longs to see this happen in in our lives and the lives of those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name.